Right, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and take your seats. You can finish greeting each other. If you're in the coffee shop or outside, come on in. Come on in. We have a seat for you. All right. Go ahead and sit down, please. First service is way better at that. It's okay. There's... There's less of them. It's probably what it is. All right. Come on in. Welcome. Good morning. My name is Amy. If we haven't met, I am part of the staff here at Sierra Bible Church. And if you are new, I just want to welcome you and make sure you know that the information about what happens throughout the week is in front of you. You can take that information with you today. We also have a gift for you. And so if you remember, after the service, our info booth is uh, right over here where my hand is directing outside. And that has, we have, we have a gift for you. So I want you to grab that on your way out. That is also currently water bottle purgatory. Okay, so I've collected all the water bottles over the last few weeks. And you don't care about your water bottles. But I do, but only for today. This is the last day I care about them. And I'm there for getting rid of them after that. All right, so if you see a water bottle you like, really, it's up for grabs. All right, so... Uh, what else? I want to tell you that, if you haven't noticed, VBS is tomorrow, which is why the stage is so nice. Right? You feel like you're in a castle, then the effect is working. All right? Because we are now, we, are, we have VBS starting tomorrow, Monday through Thursday. If you have your kiddos signed up, we look forward to seeing them. If they're not signed up, you can still do that. Um, and, uh, and if you aren't involved in that in any way, for whatever reason, just pray for us throughout this week. We have about 80 to 100 kids in the building uh, between Monday and Thursday, along with, you know, two volunteers. No, I'm just kidding. There's more than that. There's, there's a lot of volunteers also, so you could pray for those volunteers as well. Uh, and so VBS is this week. And then something I want you to save the date with is our church picnic. So August 6th, which is the first Sunday in August, we are having our annual church picnic. It's going to actually be at 10.30, so same time as second service, and it is our only service that day. So on August 6th, no one is on this property, unless you're avoiding all of us. But no one is here, so we want you at the Donner Lake Pavilion. We will have awesome, great food as well as drinks. We are asking you, if you can, to bring a side dish or a dessert. Um, otherwise, we have everything else. And if you want to be baptized, if you've been thinking about getting baptized, we will be doing that on Sunday the 6th as well in the lake. So it's a very exciting time. There is a link on our website as well as our app and our newsletter. You can sign up to be baptized. Or again, if you're interested, because what will happen after that is a pastor will get in touch with you and connect with you before August uh, and make sure that is something you want to do. All right? Save the date. Let people know. What else? Oh, yes. Uh, Johnny Wong and Jordan Wong, which are in the back here, they are, I know, they are from Basque Country. If you don't know them, they are missionaries that we support, and they are here um, with a group for the next three weeks. So they're not just here today. They're going to be here off and on for the next three weeks. If you don't know them and want to get to know them, we want you to get to know them, and so we'll have time to connect with them um, sometime later. But they are here this morning, which is a big deal because they got in at midnight last night. Uh, there was one more thing. Oh, yeah. Junior high. You may go. 
you may get up. <laughs> if you are in junior high, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, you can meet Pastor Caleb out on the deck. Uh, and let's have Pastor Brad Beers come up. Okay. We get to finish chapter 3 of Ephesians today, which means you need a copy of Scripture with you. So if you need to borrow one of ours because you forgot yours, or you don't have one, or you just want to go from a digital existence to an analog existence and remember what paper feels like in your hands, raise your hand, and our guys with Bibles will put one in your hand and turn it to Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> We have been in Ephesians for quite some time, and by finishing chapter 3, we are finishing about half the halfway mark of speaking about the book or the letter of Ephesians. Notice I didn't say we are halfway through our series on Ephesians. We might do it for 25 more weeks or something. I don't, I don't know. But, um, but today we're finishing Ephesians chapter 3, which I am excited to do. Everybody got a Bible? Everybody armed? Right? Remember... Look, look at, uh, we have the, I, I can't, it just looks like cardboard to me, but somewhere up here is the battle armor of God. And what is the only offensive weapon? You've probably heard this before. What, what's the sword? What is it? It is the word. So that's why I say, is everybody armed? You ready? Okay, so I'm going to invite you one more time to stand if you can. And the reason why I'm inviting you to stand is that we are using our bodies to remind our minds how significant the words we're about to read are. That these are the words of the living, all-powerful God to mankind. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14 from the English Standard Version. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the church collectively read the last word and said, amen. amen. You can be seated. <laughs> Paul is praying in the section that we're going to talk about. The section that I just talked about, he's, he's praying 
for the Ephesian church, but you're going to hear me kind of collectively wrap us into it as well, because I think he would pray this prayer for us. If you were with me when I got to teach a portion of chapter one, I told you though that prior to this moment, Paul is actually making through the extent of three whole chapters, one point. He's trying to make just one point. Now he has a lot of sub points that we've talked about, obviously, but chapter one through chapter three is all one statement that Paul wants to make. Let me, by way of review, make sure that we are aware what it is that he wants us to be thinking as he comes to verse 14. You might remember that in chapter one, Paul told us that we were blessed with a quantity of spiritual blessings in Christ. How many, uh, how many spiritual blessings were we blessed with, according to Paul? All. Good job. You rememberers, good job. We were blessed with all the spiritual blessings. And he talks about adoption, redemption, forgiveness, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he alludes to something in chapter one, saying that one of the spiritual blessings was being given the knowledge of his mystery that he was working through Christ. Now he begins to unpack this mystery in chapter two. In chapter two, Paul tells us that through Christ, we were made alive by God's grace. And the way that we receive God's grace is through our, what do you remember? For it is by grace you've been saved through, there we go. I just needed to like quote half the verse for you and then you could get there. Through faith, not through works of the law, not through ethnic affiliation, not through adherence to Old Testament principles, but through our faith, we receive God's grace. And then Paul is able to culminate his point that those who receive God's grace through faith, not needing to be ethnically any type of specific ethnicity, it meant that God was separating the Jews or what had separated the Jews from the rest of the world, the wall that was there had been torn down. As a result, all who live by faith in Christ enter into the same household. And even though Israel had long been foretold that this was God's plan from the outset, it was only after Christ came and taught and people began to recognize the significance that they realized that the wall had been torn down. The mystery had been given to us that we could be a part of the people of God. Now, Paul, at the beginning of chapter 3, starts to use the same words that you'll see in, in verse 14. For this reason. He says it twice, verse 1 and verse 14. Because what happens is he starts to write, hey, in light of everything that I've told you from chapters 1 and 2, it's because of this that I want to pray. But wait, I want to make sure that you got what it is that I just told you. So in chapter 3, Paul interrupts himself and drives home his points from chapters 1 and 2. It primarily focuses in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3, where Paul, who is currently imprisoned for preaching the message of this ministry, is wanting to ensure that the church realizes that they have confident access to God through their submission and faith to Christ. As a result, this gives the church 
the job of being proclaimers of the message, not only to the world, but as an interesting point in verse 13, Paul points out that it is even to the spiritual realm that we end up showing what God's mystery was. That regardless of our ethnic affiliation, regardless of what religious history that we have, if we are willing to submit and put our faith in Christ, that we can be a part of God's family. And it's because of this that we get to verse 14 where Paul says, because that this is true, he's going to pray. Now, before we get into the contents of the prayer, there's something that I want you to notice about the prayer itself. Where is Paul right now while he's writing? He's in jail. He's in prison. Jails and prisons at this point were not covered by the U.S. Constitution that makes them a more comfortable place to be imprisoned. It's not a pleasant place to be. Paul is suffering. And this is what Jesse drove home to you last week, is the redemptive ability that God has to use our suffering to accomplish his mission. But I also want you to see something about the fact that Paul is praying from 14 to the end of the chapter. Paul is dealing with his suffering by turning to prayer for himself. That's a question mark, which means right, for himself. When somebody rises at the end of the sentence, that typically means a, a question mark. Is he praying for himself? No, he's praying for other people. In the midst of Paul's suffering, the way he deals with his suffering is not sitting there and wallowing in his suffering. He fills his mind and his spirit with active love for the Ephesian church. By his prayer, he takes his mind off his own suffering and con concerns himself with the needs of the Ephesians. Before we even get into the contents of the prayer, I don't want you to miss the implication of what Paul is giving you. If you are in the midst of suffering, I would say two things to you. One, lean into it. God is using it. That's what we talked about last week. But this week, I want you to see that a technique for dealing with suffering is take your eyes off yourself. And instead, through your prayers, through your service, through your love, focus on what God is doing around you in the midst of your suffering. That's what Paul does, starting in verse 14. Let's take a look specifically at the prayer. Paul starts to pray in verse 14, On account of this, I bend my knees before the Father, out of or from whom all people groups in the heavens and on earth get their name. Paul prays to the father of all. And it is important, though it's not his main point, it's important to pick up the significance of this. That no people exist in Paul's mind without credit to Yahweh as their creator. Which is why it is absolutely ridiculous that there is still such thing as Christian racism. I don't understand where it comes from. It doesn't come from this text. There are no black churches or white churches or Latino churches or Asian churches. There is only one capital C church. 
any theology that would claim preference for any specific people group is wrong. Now, I'm sorry for hitting on this a little bit. I don't spend much time reading the news because it makes me unhappy. But I saw this week, that, uh, and they ran the story again, that a church in America still wound up on a Sunday morning last week with three burning crosses on their front lawn. Why? These people are being taught poorly. They're not being taught what is actually in Scripture. That what Paul wants you to know is that when he prays to the actual God, the real God of the universe, he prays to a God who is father of all people groups, earthly and heavenly. And he wants us to recognize as he drives home his point from chapters 1, 2, and 3 up to now that it doesn't matter your ethnic affiliation, that those who will place their faith in God are all one family. So what does he pray for them? He prays three things. It's a little bit hard to see within the English text because when they translate the Greek to English, they want to write it in a way that's kind of smooth to read in English. Uh, but Paul actually, in his, the Greek pen that he used to write the language, shows three specific things that he wants to pray for that are interrelated, but they show up, if you're a note taker and you want to take these notes, they show up in verses 16 and 18 and 19. And I know this because Paul uses the same word to introduce each of those three things. It's the Greek word hina, which is normally translated that or so that or in order to accomplish that, something along those lines. And Paul prays for three things. Now, when they go to, or when you go to classes that teach you how to speak in front of people, they typically will give you the following axiom. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. And then, tell them what you told them. Right? You've heard this before? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm trying to be a good student and a good speaker so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you ahead of time, and for those of you that like use this time as your nap, your holy Sabbath rest time, just stay with me for 30 seconds and then just check back in in like 25 minutes and you'll be good to go. But what it is that Paul is going to pray in verse 16, he is going to pray that we would be spiritually strengthened. In verse 18, he's going to pray that we would know unknowable love. And in verse 19, he's going to pray that we be filled with God's fullness. I want to unpack each of these things for us so that we can try to let the weight of them fall upon us. Nappers, go ahead and hit your nap time. But what we're going to do instead for the next few minutes is unpack what are these three things that Paul is praying for the Ephesian church and as a result for us. First, we start in verses 16 and 17. He's praying in order that he might give you, according to his glorious riches, the power to be strengthened by his spirit in your inner man, in your inner self. In order that Christ might dwell by means of the faith in your hearts, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through your faith. What Paul starts praying is that we would be spiritually strengthened. You know what's not a popular idea? 
is recognizing how weak we are. I had an opportunity for a while to work within the high school, and you would see it as, as, especially in the young boys, as their testosterone was starting to kicking in, and they would grow invisible lats. Have you seen these before? Lats, the lat muscle being here, but their, their arms like spread out, even though it's like empty space, they want to pretend that they're there as they walk around, right? You've seen this in the gym, you've seen that it's rampant in the high schools, in all places where men gather, they, they, basically the invisible lats will be present. Because we want to be seen as strong. We don't want to be seen as weak. No one wants to recognize their own weakness Now, Paul isn't going to spend any time convincing you that you are weak. He is instead going to pray that you would be strengthened with power. But I want you to recognize the strengthening of power is not so that you would be powerful. Look at the text and check me on this. He is strengthening us. He's he's praying that God would strengthen us not to use the power, but so that we can tolerate the presence of, of God in our hearts so that we can tolerate the presence of the powerful one. One of the things that we have a hard time recognizing about our weakness is how insignificant we truly are. One of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis, and you can see it's actually one of his shortest books, so if you hate reading, I recommend this one. (laughs) But I would recommend it even if it was longer. It's called The Great Divorce. The premise of this book is that it starts in hell. And for some reason, we're not explained why, but a bus comes to hell and people who want to can get on the bus and be transported to heaven. And initially, it's, it's almost like their first impressions of what it looks like when they get there. I'm going to read at length a passage that Lewis takes us to the moment when our main character and the other people that he's been getting to know get off the bus in heaven. At first, of course, my attention was caught by my fellow passengers. They were still grouped about in the neighborhood of the bus, though they were beginning, some of them, to walk forward into the landscape with hesitating steps. I gasped when I saw them. Now that they were in the light, they were transparent, fully transparent, when they stood between me and it, the light. They were smudgy, imperfectly opaque when they stood in the shadow of some tree. They were, in fact, ghosts. They were man-shaped stains on the brightness of that air. One could attend to them, could focus on them, or ignore them at will as you do with the dirt on a window pane. You get that mental image? You ever been next to a dirty window? You could look through the window or you could focus on the dirt. I noticed that the grass did not bend under their feet. Even the dewdrops were not disturbed. Then some readjustment of the mind or some focusing of my eyes took place and I saw the whole phenomenon another way around. The men were as they had always been. So all the men I had known had been, perhaps. But it was the light, the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different 
substance that was much more solid than things in our country, such that men were ghosts by comparison. So moved by a sudden thought, I bent down and I tried to pluck a daisy that was growing near my feet, but the stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. I tugged until the sweat stood out on my forehead and I had lost most the skin on my hands. The little flower was hard, but not like wood or iron. It was like diamond. And there was a leaf, a young tender beech leaf lying in the grass beside it. And I tried to pick the leaf up and my heart almost cracked with the effort. I think I did raise it just a little but I had to let it go at once because it was heavier than a sack of coal. And as I stood recovering my breath with great gasp and looking down at the daisy, I noticed that I could see the grass not only between my feet, but through them. I also was a phantom. What Lewis is trying to describe for us is that in light of heaven, we suddenly realize how immaterial we truly are, how insubstantial we actually are. You see, we, we often think of ourselves as significant, but our point of comparison is each other. When we are compared to the ultimate reality, even the smallest portion of it, the grass, the leaves, the little flowers, we realize how frail, weak, and insignificant we truly are. We need strengthening. That's why Paul prays for our strengthening, because in our frailty, in our weakness, we often react poorly to life. We often react in a way that shows that we're not capable of handling a life as it was meant to be. In a way to try to explain this to you, one of the things that I've recognized living in this town is that there are two things that people in this town worship more than humans. Dogs and bear. Then it comes to humans. And you laugh because you're like, yeah, I do like dogs more than I like people. Let's, I'm not going to be honest. And so in an effort to reach all people, I will give a positive dog analogy for once in my life. I, I, work, I get a chance to work with dogs a lot. And one of the things that I, I've seen a lot is, um, have you ever seen a shelter dog that has been abused before? And you try to approach the shelter dog and it's incapable of receiving any type of love and care. Sometimes it even reacts so negatively that it's not just afraid, but it will react aggressively to try to protect itself. And after time and progressive exposure to love and care and consistency, the dog becomes truly alive in the presence of its master because it has learned to yield to a good father. We are that shelter dog, but we are cowering in the corner, reacting angrily to the things that happen in life. We are weak and we need strengthening. Paul prays for our strengthening. 
I talk a lot to people about things that matter. That sounded really pretentious. I apologize. But I talk about God a lot. That's what I meant to say with people. One of the things I hear a lot is, I wish that God would just plainly show himself to me. You ever said that? Heard it? Felt it? I have. Why doesn't God plainly show himself to me? It's the truth is, in most cases, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Think about it. Think about the biblical examples. Think about when an angel shows up in front of people. An angel. An angel is literally the mailman for God. And when an angel shows up, what do people do? They fall to their face and scream out typically, please don't kill me. That's God's mailman. Think about when Moses stood on Mount Sinai, speaking directly with God and says, God, let me see you directly. And God goes, no, you can't handle it. And he's like, come on, please. He goes, fine, here's what I can do for you. Best I can do is I'll give you the ability to see the eminence of my glory, like the stuff that like, like the stuff that I kick up as I walk by. But in order to do that, I, he literally puts Moses into a nuclear bomb shelter of rock to protect him. Moses has the experience, comes down and talks to the people and how the people react. Ah! Put a bag on your head. This is literally what the people do. Because Moses' experience of that much glory that wasn't even directly God himself made Moses so shiny that people couldn't tolerate being around him and they told him, put a bag on your face. You think you want God to directly show up in front of you? You think you could handle it? I couldn't. I'm too weak. There's nothing in me that's capable of handling that level. And so Paul prays for the Ephesians to be strengthened, to be able to tolerate the presence of God in their life. Handling the full presence and power of Christ is not something that our soul can naturally handle. But through his riches, did you see this? Through his riches, we can progressively and systematically submit to the working of the Spirit and be strengthened by the powerful kingdom resources of Christ in our inner man that empower us to live for his purposes every single day. Paul prays for this. That's his first thing. In 17 through 19, we see that he prays not just that we'd be spiritually strengthened, but that we would be strengthened in a way to know an unknowable love. Look again at the second half of 17, that in love, you having been rooted and established in order that you might be strong enough to grasp with all the saints what or how the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know connectedly from that the surpassing knowledge 
or to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. When Paul prays for our strengthening, he's praying for us to be strengthened so that we can tolerate the fullest understanding of real love. And that that real love, he uses building terms, that we'd be rooted and established from verse 17. Because we know from our poems and our songs and other art that the foundation of all that is good is love, right? I mean, I, I don't like quoting the Beatles. But they told us that all you need is love. Sometimes, kind of like Caiaphas in the New Testament, people quote things or say the right thing even though they're not the, wrong, the right person. All you, all you need is love, but you need to know love as God has is that love. That's why 1 John 4, 8, John teaches us that God is love. And that undergirds the beauty of who God is. Now, what Paul wants us to be able to do with that love is to know its height and its length and its breadth and its depth. And his prayer for us, according to verse 18, is that we might be strong enough to grasp or comprehend the size of that love. Paul prays for us to be able to have a, transform, a transformation of our thinking, of our comprehension. And he uses these physical terms for a non-physical thing. He describes love with physical descriptions. Now, commentators went in all kinds of different directions for this as I prepared for this passage, and they all kind of made a whole lot of big deal about it, which when they're all saying different things, that basically is a fancy way of the academic world going, I don't know. I, I, we, we, we don't know. So I'll just tell you my favorite one. Having a philosophy degree, it, I really appreciated that one of the things that was pointed out is one of the groups of philosophers from ancient, Greeks, from ancient Greece, the Stoics, would use these physical descriptions, the breadth and length and height and depth, to talk about and to indicate the fullest extent of all of the physical world. That Paul might be writing this to try to say that the fullest extent of God's love goes within, permeates all physical existence and beyond. Now he says something about this love and describes it in a way that's kind of interesting. He says that we have to be strong enough. He's praying that we would be strong enough to grasp or to comprehend it because he says that he wants us to know an unknowable love. On the surface, when you take a look at that, that should cause you to go, I don't get that. Anybody have that experience? I don't, I don't get it. How do you want me to know something I can't know? Most of you aren't nodding because you probably assume by this point I'm going to explain it to you, which I will. But get used to asking questions of the text like that. What in the world does that mean to know something that I can't know? I wonder if the English language might be a little bit limited. Raise your hand, not if you know Spanish, but at least attended Spanish classes when you went to high school. Everybody in the... American education. We recognize we should learn Spanish, but nobody knows it. <laughs> but one of the things that you might remember is that the Spanish have two different words 
for to know, for the verb to know. Anybody want to be really impressive and show that you remember what they are? One of them, saber, I hear it. And the other one is conocer. Some of you actually passed Spanish. Good job. Saber is the type of knowledge where you know things. You know about stuff. You aggregate knowledge in your brain. But conocer is the type of knowledge that you have in a relationship with someone or something. It is an intimacy type of knowledge that extends beyond just the content of information into a relationship with the thing or the person. In English, we've only got that one word, no and no. But I want you to think about the people that you've interacted in the world. Have you ever played, and I know this isn't a popular game anymore, but have you ever played Trivial Pursuit? Have you ever played with that person that knows everything? They're annoying. I can say that because I am them. I will destroy you in Trivial Pursuit. I defy you. I know all kinds of things that are unimportant. It's called Trivial (laughs) Pursuit. But you know these people that know all kinds of things? Their heads are filled with all kinds of information? Does it really help anything? No. The type of knowledge that we really want is that intimate relational knowledge, right? To fully be known by someone? To fully know something? Like, I theoretically know about baseball. Like, I could tell you most of the rules. I can kind of throw a ball. I'm not the most athletic individual in the world. But I don't know it to the level that a professional baseball player knows it. They know the game. Some of them know the game so well that even if they stopped getting paid professional level, they just would keep playing it for the love of playing that game. Because they're level of knowledge of that game is a deep relational knowledge. Paul is praying that we would be strengthened in such a way to intimately know God's love. And as you grow in your relationship with God, this will be the strengthening that he brings to you. You'll start possibly with me with a very basic understanding of God's love. Right? I, I learned First John in Sunday school as a song. Beloved, let us love one another. We all danced like this too, but we don't make you dance like this. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Did anybody else sing this song? Okay. Five Bible nerds with me. God bless us. <laughs> the rest of you, thank you so much for putting up with us. We're really glad to be a part of a church with you. But once you start to get to know that love of God, not just know about it, but to know it, you're going to have conversations with people where they're going to be like, can you tell me how you know that God loves you? And you won't even be able to explain it because you won't have words for it. When Paul prays for our strengthening, he's praying for that type of intimate knowledge of God's love. 
And as a result of that love, the third thing that he prays that by knowing, intimately knowing that love in the second half of verse 19, he prays in order that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Similarly to ideas that we've already talked about, about our need to be strengthening, about our need to know at a level that's beyond knowledge, Paul prays that we would be able to be filled with all of God's fullness. And he knows precisely what he's praying, which is why I brought this up on stage with me. This is you. Now, if I filled this cup, you, with water, the fullness of God, wouldn't be able to hold very much, would it? You wouldn't even be able to satiate your own thirst, let alone be useful to other people. But this is how we start, just like this. And as Paul prays for our strengthening and you continue to submit to Christ, you start this way, God melts you down and takes you to the next stage. Your walls having been melted down, things having been blown out, now you suddenly can be filled with a little bit more that even if you wanted to and you were that type of person, you could probably split this with someone and it would be a semi-satisfying experience because you have now been made bigger to accept the fullness of God. I tell you, friends, you think he wants to stop here? Oh, you see where I'm going. God melts this down and brings you to this. Where now, if this wasn't my ash bucket, and we filled it with water... Uh, we have now been melted down and he adds more of himself to us. And suddenly, not only are we capable of being filled with enough of God's fullness to satiate ourselves, but now we actually could be brought to other people and be useful to them. Do you think he wants to stop here? So he melts us down and makes us into this. where even if you wanted to, you couldn't consume all of the liquid in this container. You think the fullness of God could be contained in this? No, he's not done. So he takes this and he melts it down and he makes a water tower capable of not only satiating one individual, but entire cities. You think, he's, you think he's done with the water tower? No, he melts it down and he makes beams so that he can create a dam and have a reservoir made out of natural land filled with water that's capable of satiating multiple cities. Do you think that's enough to contain all of God's fullness? No. But I want you to see what the process is. Do you think if this thing had feelings it would have enjoyed being melted down and being made into this or this being melted down and made into this or this being melted down and made into this. No, it is miserable to get melted down. 
This is why Paul is praying for your strengthening. Because God wants to melt down your walls and make you more capable of carrying his fullness, not only for your own benefit, but to use you for the benefit of the entirety of his world. Now I share this with you to drive home this final point that I want to make about this passage. Paul has repeatedly referenced within these seven verses that many Christians, something that many Christians say, but are often surprised about when it happens. You heard this phrase before? God loves you exactly the way that you are, but he loves you enough to not let you stay that way. If you are going to know unknowable love, you are going to see that God loves you exactly the way that you are. Praise him. But he loves you enough to not let you stay that way. Now, this is obviously true about our sin, and that's typically how the phrase is used. Because God loves you in your sin. He knows every detail of your sin, and he still has a bigger than the universe type of love for you. But he calls you to repent of it, and he forgives you and extends you mercy time and time again. But the thing is, is that our sin is not the only problem. Even without our sin, we are spiritually weak. And we must be strengthened by him through his presence and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we must expect our own personal spiritual borders, like the walls of these containers, to be melted down and pushed out and expanded and rebuilt. It will be uncomfortable to be used by God, but what else are you going to do with your life? Seriously. You think anything else is going to fulfill you to the level of being used by the almighty God of the universe? There is nothing that will fulfill you like being used for the purposes of God. Nothing. I'm going to invite the musicians to start making their way back to the stage as I told you that I would tell you what I was going to tell you. I would tell you, and now I'll tell you what I told you. So if you have one of those nappers, elbow them at this point. It's the conclusion part want to drive it home. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and connectedly, my prayer for Sierra Bible Church is that our spiritual borders would get expanded. We, as a church, need a broader reach. We need greater depth. We want to be filled with the fullness of God's love for his people and for every people group inhabiting the earth. And if we will accept this call, we are empowered by verses 20 and 21. Look at them. Now to him who is able to do all the things that are quite beyond everything that we ask or think or imagine due to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations. If we will accept God's call, we are empowered by this powerful God, and he will push out our walls. He will do more than we ask or imagine. He will show his glory in the church just like he showed it in Christ. 
And so you must ask yourself seriously this question. Will you be a part of answering the call? Will you receive his love and live it out for others? I pray that you keep your view on his amazing love because when you get to know it to that intimate level, it will spill out to others throughout this world. And we will praise him along those lines now. Will you guys stand with us as we sing these last couple songs? Just the declaration of our forgiveness in him and his amazing love for us. Mm -hmm. 